Zakawani, the flying winger. Oh, goodness me! He doesn't need anybody, Steve Zakawani! Steve Zakawani was never fun <laughs> to stick up against. Was it for Zakawani? None is possible. It's Steve! It's Steve! <laughs> this is so weird. Steve Zakawani! What's up, everyone? Steve Zakawani here, coming to you from Starfire where the sound is strained and this is another episode of winging it with Zakawani. it's a good time to be a sounders fan uh mls record eight game winning streak we're in the middle of that right now long may it continue we're going to recap the win against sporting kansas city which before the game i think i'd call it the biggest test during this run and the sound has passed that test with flying colors, it has to be said. We'll talk about that. It's an international break this week, but we still can tentatively look ahead to what's coming. And then we'll have Brad Smith, the new man in town, joining us also on the podcast for us to get a chance to get to know him a little bit better. And as always, we'll end with the big three things and we will get to some of your questions. You sent a lot of them um, this week. Um, seems to be a lot more questions when the team's winning. Well, a lot more positive questions. Um, kind of a no-brainer. This Sounders team, for me, still had some questions to answer heading into the game against Sporting Kansas City. One, it was a team that hadn't conceded in four games. Kansas City hadn't. And... A team that is always tough to beat. It's a Peter Vermees team. They're very, very difficult to beat. And also, when this team faces real adversity, how will they respond? I remember in 2010 when I was playing and we played a game. I think it was away to LA. It was also a game against Philly. It was during the summertime. And we went behind in both games. And looking around the pitch, I remember just knowing, yeah, we've lost this game. Yeah, we're not going to win the game. Everyone's heads dropped. Ah, oh, here we go again. We're behind again. We always seem to concede. And I knew that that game was lost. Fast forward a few months, Open Cup final at CenturyLink Field against Columbus Crew. We went a goal down. I looked around and I knew we were going to win the game. The response from the guys, the body language, and the reason we responded that way against Columbus crew was because we were in the middle of a tremendous win streak ourselves and we were just playing some of the best football we'd played that year. Everyone was firing on all cylinders and we were a team full of goals and even going behind to a really good Columbus crew team, Robbie Rogers, Chad Marshall, Eddie Gavin, Shaloto, very good team. We still felt, yeah, we've got it in us. And that's a sign of a good team. I always watch a good team. When a good team goes or goes down, the heads stay up. A bad team, your head go down. Early in the year, when the Sounders would concede first, you just couldn't see where a goal was coming from. You just couldn't see us scoring two goals. We might get one and get a tie. If we go 2-0 down, oh, forget it, it's over. But at the weekend, when Sporting KC scored very, very early on, the response from the bench, because I was standing right behind Brian Schmetzer and his staff, and had a good vantage point of Stefan Fry's goal and the back line as they walked the ball back to midfield to kick off again. It was Ozzy Alonso encouraging the guys, clapping, saying, hey, we've got this. It was Kim Key. He, I don't know what language he was speaking in, but he was encouraging someone. Chad Marshall had his head up. Everyone's body language, momentum, how they responded 
you could just see that they believed they had goals in them and going a goal down wasn't that big of a deal. And you saw it in the way the team played. Kansas surprised me with the possession they had. I've not normally seen Peter Vermees teams play like that, very possession-based, and they dominate possession. I think at one point it was like 60% to 40%, and it was very impressive. But Seattle always looked dangerous, at least. Even though Nicola Dero and Rui Diaz in the first half weren't as involved, just having them on the pitch, you always felt the Sounders were dangerous and not far from a goal here or there. And that proved to be true. The goal the Sounders scored the first one was fantastic. I love goals that are created in wide areas. I spent my whole football life learning to play in the wide areas. When I see good wide play, that gets me more excited than anything. And this guy, Brad Smith, I'll be completely honest, I hadn't seen much of him. I was on vacation when he'd come and I heard he's good and he's fast and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I saw him at the weekend and listen, that, that's the real deal. This is a fantastic signing by the Sounders. Seems to have done it again. We've had Nico one summer. There's Kevin Leardam came and then now Brad Smith. What a signing because he's getting into positions that the Sounders have been getting into all year. The difference now is the quality of the final pass. That's something Nuhu had to work on and Waylon Francis had to work on. And that comes with experience and playing at high levels. You know, the game will just slow down for you. And for Brad Smith, you can see the qualities there and the game slows down. He's able to pick guys out once he gets into those spots. Getting there is one thing. Delivering quality is a whole different story. And he seems to have that. The pass from Osvaldo Alonso, that, that's what Ozzy does. I'll talk more about Ozzy later because there's a lot I can say with I told you so to a lot of people. But I am not going to do that that much. Um, but I will a little bit. And the pass to free up Brad Smith was great. And once Brad Smith got there, um, you can just whip that ball across the six-yard box. I would do that sometimes and hope, you know, your striker gets there. And when you play with good forwards, they'll normally make those runs. But it's even better when you lift your head up split second before the ball goes in, see where the striker is, read his run and play it right to him. That's exactly what he did. And that's why Rui Diaz is here. Rui Diaz is what we would call in England a fox in the box it's the kind of striker who just sniffs where the ball is going to be anytime it's inside the 18-yard box, somehow always manages to be in the right position and then also has an eye for goal to put in the back of the net, which Rui Diaz has. So that goal for me epitomized the way the Sounders best attack. Absorb pressure, hit teams on the counter at speed, and you have someone in the box who's always going to be in the box to finish it. We've at times said... You know, in the Dempsey era, towards the end of it, um, you know, Clint likes to come and get the ball. Victor Rodriguez likes to come and get the ball. Nico likes to come and get the ball. Well, when the ball gets wide and goes in the box, there's no one in the box. Because everybody's coming, checking deep to get the ball. With Rui Diaz, he's up there, finds his ways into the box. Brad Smith's been a great signing. He's fast. He can defend. He can attack. He's tactically aware when to go forward, when to stay back, when to tuck in, when to stay wide. The best thing is once he gets into the wide areas where the Sounders under Brian Schmetzer do like to exploit the wide areas. You've seen him encourage Kelvin Ladham to get forward. You've seen him encourage Jovan Jones to get forward and Nuhu and Waylon Francis and now Brad Smith. The quality has to be there. The quality was there last year with Jovan Jones, 11, 12 assists or whatever it was. And it seems to be the case also with Brad Smith. And the Sounders went from strength to strength. The man in form, Harry Ship. I mean, it's an own goal, sure. 
but he created that goal and he's been in and amongst the goals for the last eight to ten weeks or so since he's come up, come back into the lineup. And what a boost he's been for Brian Schmetzer because b- before Victor Rodriguez went down, he was the soundest best attacking player. Victor Rodriguez was playing some unbelievable football, but he hasn't had to rush back because Harry Ship has more than just filled in. He's filled in, held his own, and been fantastic. So Brian Schmetzer really is now, you're looking out at the strength and depth of the Sounders and you can't help but get excited at all the guys that are out there. And then Nico Rodero finishing the day off of the penalty, a 3-1 win. It didn't flatter the Sounders at all because in the second half, there was, it was all Seattle. The more and more Nico got involved in the game and he started finding the ball and, you know, he wasn't in the best form at the start of the year. But since he's World Cup snub, he's come back and he's been fantastic. He's reaching Nico Lodero levels, which are very high levels for anyone to reach. And he's hitting them consistently. And it's helped to have the stability that Gustav Svensson and Osvaldo Alonso provide defensively to allow him to roam freely. And when he's in the wrong spot, Christian Rodin fills in on the defensive side when the Sounders lose the ball. So the balance is there right now with the team. It's there. The depth is there. Victor's on his way back. You have Roman Torres on the bench. You have Ro Bruin on the bench, who's a proven, beyond proven goal scorer in MLS, a guy who can be starting. So all the ingredients are there, but there was one downer at the weekend, and more on this later, but that Chad Marshall red card. Listen, I've never seen such confusion before collectively from the fans to the coaches on the bench to all the camera people to all the tv analysts our play-by-play Keith Koshigan our color guy Casey Keller there was just pure confusion because we had no idea what was even being reviewed when a play is being reviewed by VAR you know which play and you're like okay is this reviewable is it not and you kind of go with it we had no idea what was being reviewed more on that later, but I will say for me, and it's been a few days now, I'll still say it's the worst red card decision I have seen in MLS history because VAR was used. That's supposed to help you make better decisions, not horrendous ones like the one that we saw. I'm glad it got overturned. I said it would get overturned because there's no way an independent panel can watch that from all the angles they have and say this is violent conduct that should have been reviewed and this guy should now miss a game, pay a fine and his team play with 10 men. So I'm glad MLS came to their senses, rescinded it and Chad Marshall will be suiting up in Canada in just over a week. A couple of questions before we get to the Brad Smith interview. Now, someone says, what is the secret behind the Sounders mid-season turnaround that they seem to pull off every year. I don't know. I wish I could tell you. I don't know. Honestly, it's not deliberate because you're not going out there tanking games. You're not saying, you know, we're going to lose and be good in the summer. No, it hurts when the team's losing in March, in April, in May. It hurts the guys to see themselves at the bottom of the table, you know, seven goals for 11 games, whatever it was. That hurts. But there is a thing to say there were reasons why that was happening and I was trying to explain them. You simply cannot be successful when Roman Torres, Jordan Morris, Osvaldo Alonso, Nico Lodero, they're all injured. This is MLS. You're not replacing those players with players of equal quality. Our rosters just aren't built that way. There will be a drop-off. 
you take out four to five starters, international level caliber players, they're going to suffer. And that is what was behind it. But once everyone got healthy, once Brian Schmetzer had strength in depth, I mean, at one point, Brian Schmetzer could have texted me and said, can you just sit on the bench? We have enough numbers. The team was so low on numbers. That's how desperate they were. But now you're seeing the strength in depth. You're seeing what this team is made of. And you give a coach like Brian Schmetzer this kind of group, he'll, he's proven he's going to get the best out of them. And boy, is he getting the best out of them. I would not have predicted an eight-game win streak. No way, no way. But they've done it. They've done it in style. And long may it continue. Stay tuned. And we're back. Brad Smith joins me on the podcast. As we get to know the Sounders' new left-back Flying left back, flying left winger, whatever it is you want to call him, he's made a big difference. Stay tuned, this is Winging It with Zach. Lonzo, good luck forward here from Smith. Superbly found from Ozzy Alonso. Smith in a lot of space, still going forward. Curl delivery! Rui Diaz at the leveler! What a response from the Sounders! And the two newest acquisitions combining. And that scoreless streak is over for Sporting KC. Welcome back to Winging It with Zach Warney. I'm happy to say that I'm joined right now by the Sounders. New signing, but he's been here, I think, long enough now to say he's just a member of the team. Um, Brad Smith, uh, a guy who honestly has hit the ground running. Um, I was in England, I think, when he first came. So I didn't get to see much, but then I saw this past weekend... And I understood why you know, the fans were high on you. So, first of all, how are you doing? Yeah, thanks for having me on here. I'm, I'm doing well. Yeah. At the moment, I'm enjoying it. Um, how did this move come about for you to come to MLS? Like, what went into it and when did you know it was happening? Um, so, me and my agent kind of sat down and we thought this was the year that I need to go out and, and play games because I wasn't getting enough game time at Bournemouth. So, yeah. um, we decided that it was, it was time to go on loan. So, we sat down and, and looked at the options and... He went through a few teams with me, and then a couple of days later, he said, oh, it's a bit of a, a different one, but Seattle Sounders um, are interested in you. And it's a bit of a shock because um, it's not uh, something you hear every day. But then yeah. I got a video sent through um, about what the club was about and, and stuff like that. Watched a few games and then yeah, decided to, to come over, and it's, it's been a great choice, and I'm really enjoying it. You can be as honest as possible you want with this next question I, I listen when i came here to the states maybe 10 11 years ago now i didn't know anything about mls i only knew freddie i do that was it um, which i think everyone knew um how much or how little did you know about the league before your agent came to you and said sounders are interested yeah obviously you don't know it's it's a different league across the world but it is growing in england um I mean, I, I know a few people that have played in the league. I spoke to Jermaine Defoe about it. Obviously, Tim Cale yeah. played here. I spoke to them too, and, and they said, it, it's great over here. You, you'll love it. And the games are even showed on Sky in England now, so it's, it is a growing league. Big players are coming in now, and I was surprised coming here. I was surprised at the, the level of the, the players. There are actually some really good players in the league and the teams. Yeah. Um, and I'm surprised that some of the players haven't played in Europe or, or England. Um, I even spoke to Ozzy about it. Because um, I think he definitely could have played in England, and yeah, there's some issues there. But um, yeah, very surprised, and the the players are very good here. I, I was going to ask you that actually, um, just what you thought of the level, because you know, I'm happy you bring up Aussie, because I 
been telling Aussie that for eight years, like since we played together, um, that he definitely could have gone there. Why do you think the impression people have is that in MLS, the level might not be as high? Because for me, there's some really good players in this league. Yeah, definitely. I think it's the same with the, the Australian league as well. I'm Australian. Um, I know yeah. a lot of people in that league. I would imagine it'd be the same sort of uh, perception of that. But I think both the leagues are growing and you just got to come over and try it. And it is a lot better than, than you, you do think. And um, I think people are starting to realise that. And I think more people will be coming over in the future, definitely. What were your first impressions of the club and the city and all of that once you actually got here? Yeah, um, very impressed. Um, obviously came, had a look around and stuff like that. Um, the staff members at the club have been been amazing for me. Um, helped me settle in so well with, with houses and, and bank and, and everything, really. They've been so welcoming and, and just letting me focus on, on my football. And I think that's helped a lot um, for me to come in and hit the ground running, as you say. So I'm very impressed with the city. The, the fans are amazing. Everyone's really friendly. Um, it's a nice environment here. I really enjoy it. And you grew up in Australia? Yeah. In Sydney? Uh, I was born in Penrith, and then I moved to Byron Bay up and the coast when I was about two. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I didn't really live in Penrith. I was born there, but um, I lived on the, on the coast until um, I was 14, then moved, moved over to England. When did you start playing the game? Um, I used to do athletics. Um, I can tell, actually. <laughs> that, that, that question's coming later yeah, about okay. who, you, who would win a race between you and some people. Okay, okay. We'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, I, actually, I did athletics and football at the same time. Um, probably about I was always a runner um, through school and stuff but I didn't play football since about eight, eight, nine, um, and then I kind of had to choose what I want to do do I stay in athletics or do I, do yeah. I pursue football because I needed to concentrate because I was doing um, athletics training and stuff like that so that was taking up time so I had to kind of choose my mom sat me down and we, we decided to go with football and then yeah I started playing up ages I was actually playing as a striker Okay. Um, I was playing up ages and then I had a team that toured over in England and then that was the rest of his history got, got spotted and then went to Liverpool so, that, so it was just by going on tour to England Liverpool seeing you and then you moved from Australia to Merseyside Liverpool yeah um, how, how was that move because I, I raised in England my whole life I still don't understand um, the Merseyside accent I have such a hard time <laughs> it's too hard for me so how was that move for you um, that was probably the hardest thing the yeah. hardest thing in my life was going to school yeah um, my family sacrificed a lot. They sold the house, the business to kind of move over with me and give me a shop because I wouldn't have gone over at 14 by myself. I don't think. I think I was too young. Um, so everyone moved over. They sacrificed a lot. And, yeah, the <laughs> the accent in Liverpool is, like you say, is difficult. My yeah. girlfriend's from Liverpool. Um, she she knows Her accent's not that strong, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> definitely there's some people that it's hard to understand. And when you were there, which which year was that you were at Liverpool? Um, yeah. I was 14, it's hard to say, maybe 2008. Was this maybe? the Suarez era or Fernando Torres? Who was kind of in the first team at the time? Torres was in the first team was, okay. when I was in the academy. Okay. Um, and when I was in the first team, Suarez was there. Okay. And then he left and, yeah. What was that experience like being at that level, like training with Liverpool, one of the biggest teams in English, British football history, like being able to play with them day on a daily basis in the first team. Yeah, it was amazing, especially going through the academy for so many years. I mean, I was there for eight years, so it was amazing to kind of make that step up at the club that I had played play with for so long. And like you say, with them sort of players, it's it's crazy every day. Like you see Coutinho, Gerrard, stuff like that. It's just it's amazing to, to train with them, and I think they push the young lads on there. And 
Um, a lot of lads go into the first team, play a few games, and then they move on and, and do their own sort of career because it's really hard to yeah. kind of break in and stay there. Um, I think Trent Alexander-Arnold's done really well. Um, I know him, so mm-hmm. I'm really happy for him. Yeah. Um, you know, you're a left back on paper, but you like to attack. Yeah. <laughs> you, like, you like going forward. Um, that style you have, were there any players you watched growing up or that you watch now that you kind of try to model your game on or you just kind of stumbled upon that aggressive attacking style? Um, like I said, I used to be a, a striker, so I think yeah. that helped me attack and then I was playing left wing and I think then the, then the fullback changed where it was more attacking and defending at the same time. So then Liverpool put me back there and uh, I think I'd done well and then they just like grew me from there and... Um, yeah, I really like going forward. I think that's part of the fullback nowadays. Wingers tend to come inside and fullbacks like to go around and attack down the line. And, and that's what I love to do, yeah. Yeah. So you're obviously in Seattle to play football, um, be a part of that. But obviously you have a life away from the pitch. Um, what are like some of your interests off the pitch? Just things that you're into that we maybe wouldn't know. Um, I think some of the boys have mentioned it. We play a lot of uh, video games, a lot of Xbox. Um, me, Stefan, um, Christian, Alex, Jordan Morris, we play... Uh, Fortnite quite a bit <laughs> in our spare time um, and I've just had a baby uh, oh, yeah. seven weeks ago so um, that's taken up a lot of time to yeah. be honest um, but uh, it's amazing and you can't really explain it until you kind yeah. of had a child but yeah. it's it's amazing yeah. um, play FIFA yeah play FIFA I've sort of gone away from FIFA really but the new one's coming out so um, I'll definitely jump back on it where do you think you would rank in the locker room in terms of FIFA players what Skip, like You're playing, yeah. Like if you went head to head. Oh, I reckon I'd win. I reckon I'd beat everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you beat everyone because <laughs> everyone in England plays. I don't think people play as much here. Ozzy, I don't know if he still does. He used to be big. Yeah, yeah, he used to be quite good on it. Actually, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty good at it. I'll be. All right, we've yeah. got to set this up. We've yeah, got to set this up. <laughs> let's do it. Um, Who do you room with on the way trips? Um, Christian. How was so it? it was my first way trip. Um, we asked the room together because we've been getting on really well. So. Um, yeah, he's a good roommate, but he's had about 10 roommates this year, so <laughs> I'm waiting to find out what's wrong with him. <laughs> we'll see. Um, football, the team's on a great streak. Eight wins in a row. It is an actual MLS record. And, you know, the start the team had, I mean, we were doing this podcast at the start of the year, and every week I was coming up here and having to find ways to try and stay positive just because it was so bad for a time. And then they just flipped it around and playing some of the best football across the whole league. Um, what's it like out there on the pitch right now? I mean, you guys went a goal down at the weekend. Um, nobody's head dropped. It kind of felt like, you know, we're going to come back. Speak to that kind of confidence when the team is just winning, um, how you guys feel out there on the pitch. Yeah, I think that's if you're the nail on the head. It's just confidence in, in winning. And like you say, went a goal down. And I think no one kind of panicked. Everyone was just like, okay, it's happened. Move on. Um, and then we got we got a goal back really quickly. And then, um, yeah, I think from there we, we controlled the game. Um, they had some good good pass, passages of possession, but I think overall we dominated the game. And once we started getting the goals in, even even the red card, I think we sat in and defended well. And I think that just, just shows the character that we, we have at the moment. And, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased to be a part of the MLS record, and I think we can go further. I'm not sure about two of the coaches uh, before we let you go. One helps Liverpool win the Champions League, um, Jimmy Trari. So what's it like being, being around Jimmy on a daily basis? Yeah, he's a super cool guy. You obviously know him quite well. Um, yeah. yeah, he's a super cool guy. And, and for, to be at somewhere where, where Liverpool legend is um, and in my position it is really cool. And um, it's nice to have someone like that here. And, yeah, he's really helpful. Um, he took, takes sessions quite a lot. So 
That's good to have someone like Jimmy around, and um, he's a really cool guy. I have the pictures as well. And I know he listens, so we're going to make sure to say some nice things about him. But um, kind of your impressions being coached so far by Brian Schmetzer? Yeah, he's good. Um, definitely. Um, I'm enjoying the sessions that they have here. The coaching staff's really good. Um, I'm adapting well to, to that. And um, no, I'm, I'm really enjoying everything here. And everyone's super, super cool. And it's got a cool, cool environment. And um, I think that's why we're doing so well with, with the coaching staff. Everyone's trying to work really hard and, and push us to where we want to be. And, and that's, that's where we're heading. Are you the fastest guy on the team? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Who will challenge you right now? I mean, Jordan is fast, but he's obviously been injured. You haven't yeah. seen him. He's quick. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think on that team right now. Who I don't even know who would be a challenge. I've heard. I've heard Jordan. Um, he, he's he's got some. Words. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a few clips of him as well. Yeah. He's um, yeah. looking forward to to having him back. Yeah. I think he'll be back by the start of next season. I think so. Yeah. No, definitely looking forward to him, and um, maybe we can have a race. But right now, it's you. <laughs> you can say it. I'll say it for you. It's definitely you, man. It's Thanks, definitely man. You. Thanks. <laughs> there you have it. Brad Smith, um, guy who's really come in and helped the team. And you can see why um, really just settled it on the pitch and off the pitch. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more on Winging It with Zakawani. There's a through ball for Brad Smith from Ozzy Alonso into Kansas City's half is Smith. One touch, two touch. Now he'll send it. Welcome back. Winging it with Zakwani. Thanks again to Brad Smith for joining us. Always great having players here on the podcast for exclusive interviews, give you insight into how they think, what's going on in the locker room. And it's always even more fun when the team is on a winning streak like they are right now. Question, and there's several of these, so I'm going to remix all of your questions about this into one question. The question was, did, well... Two questions. I'll break them down. What people were asking: Should Clint have stayed on until the end of the season, even if he knew he was retiring? That's one. Why didn't he do that? And the second question, kind of related to that, was: How? Do, what do I think Clint felt about the tribute um, that was given to him before the game when he had his family, you know, his wife and his kids um, with him, and received the golden scarf? So, I'll just talk about Clint Dempsey. Um, I'm, I selfishly would have liked to see him stay through to the end of the season. Of course, um, my, I did have a, I had a conversation maybe two months ago and I was like, you know, I don't know how long you're playing still, but when you know you're know, towards the back end, whether it's this year or next year, just in, and you know, he wasn't playing much at the time and, you know, he of course isn't happy about that. But it's like, you know, just try to enjoy every 5v2, like you know, every possession drill, every shooting drill, because these are the last times you're going to be able to do these things that you've done since you were five, six, seven, eight years old. And then once it's gone, it's gone. You're not going to have the motivation once you retire to get out there and play. So just enjoy it and be around that. And that's the advice I'd give to anyone. But I also understand that people are different. Understanding Clint Dempsey, he is a guy who has worked so hard to get to the top, made it to the top. Um, had teams built around him, especially here in Seattle, where he's been the focal point since day one, since he arrived. No, he shared that with Olber at times, but since Olber's left, it's really been Clint Dempsey's team. And, you know, when Nico came, the team still played through Clint a lot. And to go from that to not playing at all, to being the last guy on the bench, to not coming into games, that's tough for anybody. 
And so with that, I think he just felt, hey, I've had a great career. I've had a great run. I want, my kids are going back to school soon. I want to spend time with my kids. I, you know, I don't need to um, spend the next two or three months sitting on a bench. And so for me, I'm going to call it a day here. So I absolutely understand why he did that. Selfishly, yeah, I would want to see him get a send-off, going to different stadiums, people clapping for him and things like that. But that's not the person we're talking about. That's a guy who just, hey, if I'm not playing, then I'm not here. And it was all about football for him. He doesn't care about um, send-offs and tributes and things like that. That's not what motivated him. What motivated him was simply playing the game. With that said, I do think he enjoyed the tribute at the weekend. Um, when you have Macklemore, Kobe Bryant, Drew Brees, Steve Nash, Marshawn Lynch, and then several of your former teammates and friends you know, taking the time out of the day to wish you well in retirement and let you know the impact you've had on the game. If you're human, that's going to obviously um, affect you in a good way, um, in a good way emotionally. And, you know, his kids were having a great time, of course, being down there on the pitch with their dad. So I do think, of course, that stuff is always appreciated. And I'm glad at the very least that the fans got one last chance to see him standing on that pitch, even if it wasn't in the rave green number two. The big three things. Number one, VAR, VAR, whatever you want to call it. Video review. Listen, I was hesitant about this thing when it first got announced three, four years ago when in FIFA, the governing body, began to talk about instant replay and goal line technology. Because, you know, I, growing up, you know, I played in the park with my friends. And listen, half the time in the park we were playing, half the time we were arguing decisions. No, that, that didn't cross the line. They did cross the line. That's the corner. That was a throw-in. And we argued because there was no refs. And that was always kind of a part of it growing up for me. The nuance of the game allowed for human error. Maradona's goal, the hand of God, for example. Um, hand ball, ball into the goal against England, which is not popular in England, but it happened. Um, and it's an iconic moment in sports. Uh, Frank Lampard in the 2010 World Cup against Germany, he shot the ball. It crossed the line. Clearly came out. Referee did not see it. Linesman didn't see it. No goal. Um, those things, we hated them, but we always had a sense that they evened themselves out. VAR gains introduced and it takes that away well goal line technology they're putting chips in the ball or chips or sensors around the line so you know exactly when it's crossed the line it buzzes the referee's wrist um the watch on his wrist and he knows it's crossed the line so that got taken away and then with var they're able to review key plays that affect the outcome of games i saw how well in my opinion it was implemented at the world cup and i became a fan i liked it because you're now getting the correct decisions, correct. There's so much money on the line. There's so much pride on the line. Let's minimize big, gigantic mistakes. Cool. And then things like Saturday happen. And there'll be a free kick because of the action on Chad Marshall. Chad Marshall as Toledo's walking towards him, going to the back pocket and getting a red card. That's preposterous. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Chad Marshall gets a red card in the 81st minute. Did I miss something? Because I really thought I saw him come across and, and, and block the, the ball from Russell. Now, if you call that a red card without VAR, it's still a horrendous decision, but I maybe understand that, hey, he doesn't, we have the replay, he doesn't, maybe he got it wrong. That was always the defense for referees. It was it's easy to be an armchair referee. We're getting 10 angles. He sees it in real time. It's tough. And I understood that. That's not what happened at the weekend. He had more replays than we did. He walked over there. The video review was played for him. 
I'm talking about Toledo. And he watched it. And for whatever reason, his conclusion was that Chad Marshall committed violent conduct and he gave him a red card. I could not believe my eyes at what I saw, especially because they use VAR. If you're going to get 20 replay angles, whatever it is, five replay angles, that play by Chad is a foul at best, at best. Was there contact? Many of you sent me the freeze frame 0.0002 second part where Chad hits him in the knee. Sure, there was inadvertent contact. It happens. I've been tackled before where the defender wins the ball and I still get hurt because part of the body hit me, but it's a fair tackle. Chad won the ball. Clean. Fair and square. No debates. Nothing violent about it. I doubt it's a foul. If you freeze any tackle at and you know, in freeze frame mode, you're going to see contact almost on everything. There's nothing red card about that. There's nothing saying play with 10 men. There's nothing saying pay a fine. There's nothing saying you miss next week's game or the game against Vancouver coming up. Nothing about that tackle deserves that. And it's an absolute, let me pick my word carefully here. It's a joke that they use VAR and still got that wrong. And I'm glad the independent panel at MLS, whoever they are, saw what I saw because I said this is going to be rescinded right away. And the skeptic in me was still a bit nervous because, you know, it's MLS and you don't know. But they did, because I was never a red card. Number two, Osvaldo Alonso's form has been fantastic. Ozzy, if you're listening, why would you? You've been in San Diego with your family. You're enjoying yourself. But my friend, if you're listening, I'm so happy with the way you're playing because I think this was the year where I've seen you written off more than before. And we talk and we've had these conversations and I said to you, keep your head down, play how you play. Those of us who know, we know. And how he has played in the last eight weeks, and this is high praise coming from me because you know I love some Osvaldo Alonso, is as good as I've seen him play at any point in his career. And I'm talking 2009 Alonso, who I used to go home and call my friends in England and say, you need to watch us next week because there's this guy who needs to be at Arsenal next week. 2010 Alonso, he was the best midfielder in the league. 2011, 2012, he's very best years. He's approaching those levels because now he's even smarter than he was back then. He's an older, wiser player. He conserves energy at the right times, but it's not just what he does defensively for the team. It's with the ball. 90-plus percent pass completion, and he's not playing safe passes. He's risking balls, splitting defenders, playing through balls, connecting to Nico, breaking the lines. He's making dangerous passes at 90% clip. Plus, 90-plus. You tell any coach, I'm going to get you a player that's going to stop the other team's number 10. They take that. Pay good money for that. And you say, no, wait, there's more. They're going to stop the other team's number 10 and they're going to start all of your attacks. The coaches say those players don't exist. Show me another one who does it at the level Aussie's done for 10 years. They don't exist. And we've been spoiled with this man in Seattle. At the moment he's formed, his level drops just a tiny bit. We're very quick to bury him and write him off. But Osvaldo Alonso is alive and kicking and if he maintains this form, it's going to be scary for whoever has to face the Sounders in the playoffs because they will be in the playoffs. I said this in March, and I'm saying it here in September. 
takes me nicely into number three, the playoff momentum. Have the Sounders peaked too soon? I'll be honest, I'm a little bit nervous that they may have peaked too soon. In a sense of, if you look at historically who wins MLS Cup, it really is the team that hits form at the right time. Especially Seattle, the year they won it, the year before that when the Portland Timbers won it. Those two teams really hit form at the right time. The Galaxy did it a few times um, back in the Beckham, Keane, Donovan era, where they would just hit form in August and just maintain it. So if the Sounders peak too soon, it's possible, but it's not too much of a concern because the drop-off when they do lose eventually is not going to be back to what it was in March or April or May. It's going to be very close to where they're at right now. Their team is tough to beat, but they're going to win more games than they lose. So even if maybe you've peaked too soon at your very best and this win streak is coming a bit too early, the drop-off is not going to be that far. Because the quality and the talent in this team is going to ensure that it stays somewhere in and around where it is now. And it's on the other teams to come and beat the Sounders. I'm looking at the West and I don't fear anybody in the West. There's a couple teams in the East that make me a little bit nervous. But if you've got to play those teams just one time, that's fine. Over two legs, I fancy Seattle against any team in the West. In a playing game, I fancy Seattle against any team in the West. So the momentum is good. Keep it up. But even when it does drop off, fear not. Because the level of this team is so high now that the drop-off won't even be that much. That's all we have time for this week. We'll be back next week to really preview the Vancouver Cup game coming up for the Sounders. It's a big one. I know many of you will be in Canada. We'll have the preview for you right there. As always, appreciate the questions. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe, rate, comment, send questions, download, do everything. This is Winging It with Zakawani. Until next week, I'm Steve Zakawani. I will see you next week.